You are listening to the Orange Songbook Podcast, hosted by Matthew Hewish, Oliver Davies and Toby Suda. The three second generation unificationists discuss topics that matter to them. Hello and welcome to the Orange Songbook Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us once again. I'm Ollie. I'm here with Tobes. Hey guys. And with Matthew. Hello. And today we're talking about something which uh, we do on a semi-regular basis considering we haven't been around for a while um we're talking about communication more specifically the culture of communication within our unification movement uh kind of analyzing it is it good is it bad more importantly what can we do to improve it if anything right are we free to speak that is the fundamental question that we are trying to answer today yes (laughs) (laughs) So chaps, enlighten me, what is freedom of speech? So freedom of speech is a word that gets banded around a lot, especially on it's a kind of... It, isn't it? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> especially on like a national media context, things like that. For a loose definition of what freedom of speech is, it's the right to articulate one's opinions and ideas without fear of a government or an overarching organisation retaliating um, with censorship or kind of social sanction or these kinds of things. So then, we're podcasting about unification kind of movement community. What's the free speech situation in our in our unification community? It is a it is a difficult topic. It's an odd one because we kind of almost half brand ourselves as a nation state, at least as an international organization, but we kind of fall into this grey area. Is that fair to say? Well, we don't have a state, do we? I mean, we may have some authority, some sovereignty, we may have some citizenship, but we certainly don't have a territory. So for the time being, we're not a legitimate state. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. Nevertheless, we have a constitution, uh, a state's constitution, which is the Chonilguk constitution. And within that constitution, uh, there is a media committee, which I think is called the Chongong One. Propaganda department. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's how I would translate it into English. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit worrying. Like right now, we have a few things. We have uh, the odd newsletter here and there, full of glowing reports. Coming from where? Coming from people who write glowing reports and no one I else. Mean, who distributes the reports? Um, you know, most most local communities have a newsletter. Most national communities have a newsletter. Most continental communities have a newsletter and the international departments also kind of filter things through those channels so do you think some people are writing not so glowing reports um i'd imagine those reports don't get very far uh-huh. uh, but i imagine those reports do exist we also have peace tv we had the pleasure of visiting their studio in february they were very hospitable i know they were actually really nice yeah that awkward moment when we tried to wash our cups afterwards and they insisted on doing it themselves but I feel like that's the rule if somebody offers you tea you at least do the washing up right at least try to I can't remember did we actually do the dishes I think we did we tried to we maybe got through one before they all stood there and forced us to shake their hands and then usher us (laughs) out that was awkward because I had wet hands from washing the dishes as well No, the, the, the Peace TV weekly news update, the good thing about it is that they distribute it in more than a couple of languages. They've got the Korean version, Japanese version, English version, French and Spanish, I believe. See, they brand themselves as kind of a news organisation, but are they really? Not in the kind of 
worldly sense, I suppose? No. They give out glowing reports, again, in a more accessible media form. What do Peace TV do exactly, before we go on to what, like, more defined, like, what do they produce? What is their weekly newsletter thing, or what do they give us? It's it's a 17, 18-minute video summary, which contains some footage. It contains quite a few stills, like mm. photographs of events with a, f- a few captions. Usually you have maybe a dozen or so international programs or events highlighted, each of which gets maybe 20 or 30 seconds of showtime. Oh, except for the European Cranes Club, which got about seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you also have uh, some excerpts of True Mother's recent speeches, perhaps. Okay. Um, and yeah, obviously somebody has to make an editorial decision about which words of True Mother are going to be included. Now, one thing to be noticed there in what you've said is that it is heavily edited and heavily vetted. Of course. Um, that's partly because, you know, that's that's its role it's supposed to fulfill. Also, that's where it gets its money from, <laughs> let's be honest. How is it funded? <clears throat> it's funded directly through the church. Okay. Uh, I don't think it makes its own revenue. It doesn't advertise, does it? Well, there was a, a memo distributed, I think, in 2014, which explains that this Chonggung Won, I think that's how you pronounce it, is under the kind of juris- jurisdiction of the Korean headquarters. Not Oops. the international headquarters, but the Korean FFWPU headquarters. Oh, dear. But having said that, when well, we... What am I missing when you say, oh, dear? I don't know. Well, well, Ollie, what do you infer by that? Well, let's just say the Korean media isn't the best example to take from. No, they don't exactly have the BBC standard, do they? No. Let's, in terms of world standard, for instance, I'm a member of the Journalists' Union, and they publish a report of, essentially, freedom of media throughout the right. world. And they do not score South Korea very highly, mostly because it is a brand new nation. It's only been a democracy for a couple of decades before that it was dictatorship totalitarian which is why i'm a bit worried when you put the koreans in charge of all the media i don't think they know what they're doing right but since since that time since 2014 i mean when we were there earlier this year we went into the building which is now the i think it's called the sonhak institute of history it's okay. really nice yeah and that in, in the basement there that is where they have their studio Mm-hmm. So how they're funded today, uh, we can only speculate. Other forms of communication in the unification community, um, local newsletters, which you said, memos. Um, how well do you know your moon? Yeah, that's something that we shouldn't discount because there are a lot of anti-moony websites out there. And I take my hat off to those fellas. Yeah, whether or not you agree with their agenda, you do have to applaud their culture of open communication. Not just that, but also their devotion to the task. That requires a lot of effort and, and time invested into digging up a lot of these photographs and stories. I freely admit I disagree with their spin a lot of their time, but I'm very grateful for them to bring to light a lot of very interesting information. I think it's almost fair to say that they've spent more time doing church activities than our actual own members, or at least the amount of time they've spent dedicated towards the church. There could be a debate about that, yeah. Other forms now in the digital age, we're seeing social media used a lot. So a lot of Facebook. Um, I don't use Twitter, but other, actually just Facebook seems to be the main 
place where unification community also have discussions yeah there's also a few email threads that go around um some forums forums and things like that everything is kind of unfortunately behind closed doors uh in those regards not easily accessible by invite only kind of things so we do seem to have this current situation where we have so-called legitimate media in air quotes which is all controlled by either Korean headquarters or international headquarters. And we have this uh, free kind of anti-media, which is controlled by one or two disgruntled individuals with Fake many news. contributors, uh, usually with the agenda to take down the Unification Church or the, something around like that. Well, and then we also have this kind of secret backdoor uh, third community, which has discussions and things like that. Um, where nobody can see by invite only. Is that fair to say that that's the current media situation in the unification movement? Reasonably fair. I haven't been invited to any of those private conversations, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the problem. That's the point. (laughs) So in this current situation, and say you're not invited to these very exclusive and, let's be honest, a little bit snooty kind of groups, uh, how do you get your information? What are the only ways to understand something present or historical about the unification movement. Um, I guess you'd want to look through your local newsletters. Newsletters, um, yeah. If that doesn't work, go to Google. Um, if you want another perspective, how well do you know your moon? Yeah, well, that's what you're going to find on Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, to be honest, it's actually quite hard to find information. See what I mean? If it's, it's not bit... being directly kind of filtered through some kind of headquarters, but they're, they produce stuff which I don't... There's a bottleneck, isn't there? Yeah, quite a yeah, one. a bottleneck. And that bottleneck forms into a monopoly. Right. That's how it seems. only a few people have um, control over, you know, what information is communicated. And that may seem all well and good, but if you were to apply that to a nation state, it actually becomes a big problem. It puts it into context. So imagine, say, um, you know, we live in the UK, Imagine if all the information that we received about the UK came directly from the UK government. It would be Big Brother. All of a sudden, it sounds like a big problem. A big problem? Big Brother. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a very big brother. Actually, that's kind of the situation that we're in now. Less less sinister, mind you. I'm not saying that it's all done on purpose. I I completely um, am sympathetic that it's a cultural artifact of the past. Nobody's out there going, oh, you know, we have to we have to create this situation because I read a book by George Orwell and I think it's a really good idea. No one's saying that. I think it's, it's a result of naivety more than anything else. And I think what it's born out of is, is the way in which our cultures in the European West and the East have developed differently. Many centuries ago, we had somebody like Voltaire uh, saying, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That we have uh, an enlightenment philosophy which embraces differences of opinions. We actually want to protect and make sure that people's individuals' rights, their freedom to say whatever they want to say, however outrageous it may be, as long as it's not inciting hatred or, or, or inciting people to, to murder others, then we want to allow people to do that. Now, I think it's important to also qualify the fact that while people have freedom to speak, we also have the freedom not to listen. <laughs> yeah, no, of course, of course. But it should be our choice not to listen. Right. It shouldn't be somebody else's choice not to communicate. Yes. 
So here in the West, we are able to handle the tension of having debate with different opinions. Whereas I think in the East, they haven't been able to really do that so much. Is that is that unfair? Is that a mischaracterization of, of the attitudes towards freedom of speech in the Far East? I think it's a generalization, but in general, among the older generations in the East, I think that's true. Why is that? Um, because that's how they grew up. That was fine. You know, if you think about it, it does come from a noble sense. It comes from the thinking that the needs of the whole outweigh the needs of the individuals within that whole. Yeah. See what I mean? Whereas in the West, we have the idea that the needs of the whole are the needs of the individual within that whole. So, it you know, both you, you can very much see that there is legitimate noble aspiration there, um, but they're both expressed in two almost very opposite ways. That's very interesting, mm. isn't it? So going back to how that applies in the unification community then, as we're kind of led by a Korean church, you could say, it's kind of turned in quite, into quite an Eastern form of communication, right? Absolutely. I think that's definitely the case. And so as a result, we get quite a vertical, one-channel route of communication. Um, you could almost say it's a, like an information monopoly. Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. And so but, somebody's making a decision. We want to disseminate positive, glowing reports about an agenda that we're trying to push. But are people aware that they are kind of the victims of a <laughs> information monopoly? Honestly, I genuinely think that most people are aware, but most people are kind of okay with it because they haven't realized the kind of damage that it does. Yeah, I think we implicitly consent with that way of doing things. We don't challenge it. We don't do anything about it on the whole. So that calls into question, should the culture change once again? I think there are some really big downsides to our current structure of communication coming through a singular channel. Um, one is that we kind of have this mentality within our church, which is toxic, of absolute... I don't want to say absolute obedience because you know that's kind absolute of one faith, of our absolute love. Well, I would call obedience. it blind obedience. Blind obedience, yeah, because when as soon as you stop someone's ability to speak and to express themselves, then suddenly the number of voices become very few, and that promotes a kind of mentality of I'm going to follow whatever my leader says despite what I think because what I think is inherently inferior. Mm which is false. Actually, you know, Father spoke out against that many times. But there's a danger there that actually the teaching can be misused to encourage people to abdicate their critical thinking and simply defer to whatever the leaders are saying. And in fact, the leaders can demand blind obedience from their members or from the community, misusing theology in that way has that happened of course has that happened come on now <laughs> come on now another downside is that when corruption happens and i say when instead of if very intentionally there when corruption does happen there is no way to counter it because the first line against corruption is the media is that not fair to say mm. if a politician is doing something dodgy the only threat that they can really respond to is the media will get hold of it. 
even here in the West, I think there is some remnant of reservation about blowing the whistle sometimes. Whistleblowers sometimes have a difficult time. They, they risk losing their job or they risk losing credibility. Uh, and so it's it's a current issue in, in our community, in, in our nation today. How do we encourage people to blow the whistle on malpractice uh, without jeopardizing their, their livelihood or, or, or their careers perhaps? It's a lot better, I think, than, than other parts of the world. But even still here, we, we have challenges in that respect. I don't think that's something that we'll ever get rid of because it is a powerful thing to do. And as soon as you exercise a right of uh, whistleblowing, it, you know, it's, it's a very big decision you've made. For those of you who don't know, whistleblowing is essentially telling on someone. Or grasping attention. on someone, snitching on someone, essentially. Right. Each word you use there is a very British. <laughs> I so, think snitching. Grassing up? Yeah, grassing that's up. Very British. That's very British. <laughs> Dobbing in? <laughs> I've never, never used that. I've heard that. Never never heard that. <laughs> Dobbing in. But you can see how these things can be very easily covered up by a very low number of people. For instance, <laughs> the whole Ingenim thing, um, that was first le leaked on How Well Do You Know Your Moon? In fact, that's the only place, really, that's formally acknowledged that this pregnancy and birth and adultery happened. Uh, whereas the mainstream official communication did not lie. What did they say? What was their version? Health issues. She was stepping down from her position due to health issues. Is, is pregnancy a health issue? <laughs> Technically, yes. But do you know what I mean? <clears throat> it's so telling that yeah. you, know, you have to go to an anti-Mooney website in order to find out what is true, which is actually terrible. It's I horrible. was even in a workshop in, uh, I won't say the particular dates because I want to point out the people, but I was in a workshop where Ingenim's kind of close people at the time of her pregnancy were kind of lecturing at that workshop. And they, I don't know, they made it seem like she was this great, oh, I don't want to speak badly about her. But anyway, they, they made the situation seem very, good when clearly um, it wasn't the case but I'm not sure how aware they were but then they must have been aware I'm mean, anyway there's, there's a lot of confusion within, yeah, within me that's the point the fact that there's a lot of confusion is a bad thing a lot of second generation and first generation as well but you know especially American second generation have been deeply deeply affected by that and still are a lot of them that people, was what people, they built their the faith on is, and then that's what destroyed it and threw it away people I think are more hurt about how the media lied in that situation because exactly. to be honest like whatever engineer did I mean I don't I don't mind we're all human beings yeah someone may say like she's abused her position and yes I guess some people will see it that way but she's a human being at the end of the day and we all seek love in certain ways and wh whatever whatever I don't understand what was going through her mind so I'm not in a position to comment but the fact that how it was all twisted and lied to us is what hurts, isn't it? Exactly. And I know the fact that a lot of young second generation really looked up to her as a role model. And as soon as they see that, they're in total confusion. And sometimes it's just better to be honest. That is the culture that needs to change. I, I recently uh, had an email forwarded to me, which was an email sent out to... I think I can say this is Saddleback Church Community, which is a large Christian non-denominational megachurch in California, uh, where the lead pastor is Rick Warren. And 
they were communicating to their membership in this email that a member of staff, a youth worker, had been recently accused anonymously, their, their name was not mentioned in this email, but they were, uh, they've been recently accused of, of um, doing something inappropriate with some 14-year-old boys. Saddleback leadership decided to send an email to their membership informing them that this individual has been accused, that this individual has been reported to the police, the local authorities, so that they may conduct the appropriate investigations. And that's a really mature thing to do. It trusts and, and respects the maturity of the membership, and it also protects, I feel, the integrity of the organization. And yet I feel like our community is not mature enough to do that yet. I can't see that happening. I can't see, oh, this leader screwed up, so they're under investigation for this and that and this and that. No, they just get promoted sideways. Don't yeah, they? They, just get, <laughs> they just get shoved to a national leader of some African nation or some ooh, Middle Eastern nation. Ooh. And then it's like, oh, there you go, because we don't want to fire you because that would look bad. Unfortunately, but that's just the reality. And it needs to change desperately. It does need to change. Question is, is there some information that's too sensitive it's too sensitive to communicate to other people. I... What examples would you mean by that? Just create hypotheticals. Well, like, for instance, the name of the person who was under investigation at this Saddleback Church event. I don't think that's necessary. Right. So that, that... I, I Honestly, I really dislike how the media name and shame people for yeah, their the crimes. Yeah, the witch hunting. I think it's horrible. I think, th- I think they're tormented enough by guilt and they'll pay, their, they'll pay the price. They'll do their time. I just don't like the idea that everyone will label them for their crime forever. Bear in mind, this person hasn't been convicted. They might be. They might innocent. be innocent. Yeah, but and but the, we've had cases of like a footballer who was uh, sent to jail for the same crime, but then two years later was found to be innocent. But his career's gone down the drain forever. His name's tarnished forever. So there is a line. Where is that line? Well, there's also something to be said for naming someone in an investigation. Because if they have been a prolific abuser or if they have been prolific in their corruption, if one person steps out boldly to accuse that person, others may see that, recognize, hang on, I think I have information about that person too. And that will inspire them to step forwards to share their information as well. So that's the thing. That's the thing. That It is a blurry line. It's, it's I mean, a, That's how this, to take an example... Um, you know, child abuse and paedophilia was a big thing among um, big media players on TV and radio and things like that in the 70s and 60s. And that was a big thing. And that only recently came out. And it's a good thing that these people were found out and punished for it. But it only happened because one or two people started saying, oh, actually, this happened. And then everybody else was, yeah, I, you know what? This did happen. This happened to me as well. It happened to me. And it launched a huge investigation and turned out that all of this stuff was actually true, not just, you know, made up stuff to get attention. But there's also not not just the, the criminal or the corrupt, but there's also information which requires some maturity or discretion. Um, so there are certain episodes of our community's history which I would not necessarily want to broadcast immediately when introducing somebody to our community. Um, they may need to be introduced to the community to some degree and have some understanding of 
our theology, of our teachings, in order to appreciate and understand why certain things were done in certain ways. For instance, what about um, what about if we held an event that didn't go so well? Do you think that should be published? Could be. Could be. What about if somebody in a higher middle position got found embezzling money and got caught for it? Do you think that should be reported? Again, we, we might debate about whether that is publicized anonymously or whether their name is uh, publicized openly. But I think that kind of information should be uh, revealed as, as a process of honest self-reflection, organizational corporate self-reflection. What about if uh, there was a criminal charge against somebody, that person was found out to be guilty, would that be, should that be reported to their membership? Once the legal authorities have passed judgment, then I think there should be some reporting, yeah. I agree with all of those three. I can't see any of those happening. In fact, those things have happened in the past with an art movement, and I haven't seen any acknowledgement that that happens. And for me, that's a reflection of of people who are in charge of deciding whether or not to, to put out this information, thinking that we can't handle it right. somehow. Is that... I can't think of another explanation... Or they want to paint themselves as completely rosy and perfect. Well, there are some people who want to do that too. Or they're all part of it and they don't want to incriminate themselves as well. <laughs> who knows? I just feel that, you know, we have a principled definition of freedom. That freedom exists within the realm of the principle. Things have to be done in a principled way. We have to take responsibility for exercising our freedom. And our freedom should pursue substantial actual results. And if we promote free speech, the kind of speech which has no responsibility over it or no regard for the consequences, I feel that there is a potential danger there. And so in certain circumstances, we do want to exercise some discretion. It is important to put these things out there because what happens if we don't, let's be honest, as much as you try and hide this information, that information is going to come out. Problem is... The people who get hold of that information are people with a damaging agenda towards the unification movement. You can spin information in many different ways. And I, I am in a position as the national director of our community here in the UK where I recognize I, I have to be very careful about what I say in public or how I communicate certain things. Uh, there is a political game that is being played, certainly, um, and, you know, thankfully here in the UK, I don't think we're so Machiavellian about it. But the impression I get that in some circles of, of our community that we are walking a tightrope. You've got to be careful to make sure you don't feed people ammunition to either shoot myself down or shoot my my line manager down, perhaps. And so, yeah, we uh, we need to be careful. I mean, that's the problem. When you find something out through unofficial channels it suddenly turns into a conspiracy theory, mm. right? Because the perception is that, oh, it's, it's, it's hidden information, it's secret information that they're trying, to, they're trying to hide. And sometimes that is true. It is sometimes true that the information is intentionally being suppressed. But even if it's not being actively suppressed, the very fact that it's being spread through hearsay usually carries with it a certain degree of mystery or contempt, perhaps, which 
perpetuates a feeling that yeah people are trying to suppress this information and we need to get the word out there exactly and that's why we need to change that mm. and to be honest that's why we started the orange songbook one of the yeah. main reasons anyway yeah so actually we felt it would be appropriate to maybe as we conclude season one of the orange songbook with this episode to actually share some of the orange songbook story didn't we yeah, we have been asked a few times in various messages and emails and in person as well. Um, you know, why did you guys start? What did you do? Um, why the name Orange Songbook? Maybe we'll keep that one secret for another. <laughs> we'll save that for, uh, for we'll another that. time. But yeah, we started in my cupboard. <laughs> yeah, that's not <laughs> that's not even an under exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. It was literally a wardrobe. Yeah, walk-in wardrobe. That's where we. Well, we had the idea maybe two two years ago to start. It was a bit longer than that. I think, uh, longer than that, yeah, two and a half, three years ago, to start a podcast where we can just discuss a bit more openly and freely. The, the, the idea was born out of our home group, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a Wednesday night kind of brothers study group with a second gen, older second gen in the community Some got of together. The younger first gen as well. Some okay. of the younger first gen joined us a bit later on, and so through that. Uh, myself, Oliver, and Matthew decided to start a podcast, and we did about ten recordings. Realised they were terrible, <laughs> and then took a year break, and came back to it. Yeah, I know we've been working on it for this long, and we're still this crap. Yeah. Anyway, so we made it eventually, uh, essentially, to encourage conversations between everyone, and that's why we like to share our own personal conversations with you guys with the hope that it would engage you in our topics, in topics that haven't been spoken as freely as we have been, we like to think. Also, as second generation, we can say a lot of stuff and people don't excommunicate us. <laughs> it's true. It is a shame. And it's something that we've mentioned before, but we are in a privileged position just from being second gen. And it's mm. kind of crap because first gen are judged way more harshly than second gen. That's true. So it means that we can say things that first gen get bashed for. And it's kind of awful, really. And when we started this project, I think our feeling was, okay, leaders can't say things so openly. But then, of course, during the course of the, the evolution of the Orange Songbook, I became the <laughs> UK yeah, but also, national leader. <laughs> let's, let's acknowledge, first and foremost, before you get too big-headed, that UK <laughs> national leader is very low down on the totem pole in this the unification This is very church. true, very true. I'm I think, small um, fry. The amount that people get paid is a very large indicator of how high they are up on the scale of things. Mm. Also, we wanted to take away communication... Um, from these places that we were talking about before, these kind of back channels on Facebook and email threads and away from the anti-Mooney websites uh, like How Well Do You Know Your Moon. We want to take ownership over that information. Absolutely. Be able to speak about things in a neutral light, to know that... Well, you know there's never going to be a neutral yeah. light. No, of course not. I guess not. I think the ironic thing is that we set out with these very honest, open communication unbiased kind of communication platform but before you know it we turned into a three-man show three guys all roughly similar ages growing up in similar area in london it's true we're all blokes we're all blokes yeah. with fairly similar opinions on quite a few matters and so we realized that although this was a good way for us to get the project running it wasn't actually our end goal and so a lot of people think of us as a three-man talk show which 
I guess the artwork hasn't helped our case there because it very much <laughs> promotes the three of us. So this leads into season two, actually, where we are going to be changing things just to... Quite significantly, I think. Just to yeah. sum up, this is our final episode of season one. For season two, we'll be changing the format to suit our original vision. So we'll be expanding. You'll be hearing more voices than just our own. Yeah, we've got quite a few nice topics lined up. Yeah, ones we've... that are a little bit more difficult. One of the things we realised is that there are certain topics that we can't touch without being, you know, incredibly biased. Things like, you know, feminism, things like sanctuary church, things like, you know, intergenerational cooperation. Because we are all not female, we're not members of sanctuary church, and we are all second gen, and things like that. You know, the topics that we want to hit are a little bit more, a little bit more juicy. You know, things like... Um, the culture of alcohol and how does that affect our unification movement. thank you to chris from america by the way for sending us a big email yeah that was a great his, suggestion on his topic we are idea. currently working on that um is the uc a patriarchy you know some would say yes some would say no um and a ton of other suggestions that you guys have been sending in through emails and messages please do really continue appreciate. to send more suggestions and if you would like to even contribute if you would like to join our studio here in <laughs> Studio, again, is a very, very big word for what this is. A table with chairs and some microphones. But if you would like to join us and, and actually have your voice heard by the world on the Orange Song, then we, we are actively hoping to invite people to, to join this discussion. It might be that you might find one of us absent during one of the recordings uh, to make space for somebody else or a couple of other people to come and contribute. Um, but we also want to, in a sense, broaden out the franchise. Is that a fair way of describing it? We don't just want Orange Songbook to be just a podcast, but it could be, it could spawn a whole variety of different media productions. So we're looking for people to get involved. A lot of people have already pledged their support. They they raised their hand and and they recited a pledge and they said yes <laughs> at the end of it. What's the what's the new one? Loosely translated as victory, I think. Um, so we do have a few goals. So we'll be launching a Patreon in season two. Again, um, this is all coming out of our own pocket because we straight up refuse to receive money from any church organisations. Nobody can buy us. Uh, I mean, I think it's important. It's part of this. It's part of this kind of media integrity where, if somebody starts donating money, so for instance, if the church starts donating money to us, then suddenly we can't turn around and say the way that you spend money is crap. So we hope to see you in season two. Um, hopefully it won't be too long. We do have a lot of big changes to make. And again, we're expanding our team big time. It's not just going to be us three anymore. Um, can we set a date on when people can expect to? No. Because <laughs> <laughs> if we set a date, we're not going to hit it and we're going to feel awful. So please get in contact with us. We genuinely have appreciated all your emails and... Uh, we will also be reading those out in the future. Definitely. So you know where we are, www.orangesongbook.com. We're on Twitter as Orange Songbook. We're on Instagram as Orange Songbook. We're on Facebook as Orange Songbook. So find us, message us, and we hope you look forward to season two. Thank you very much and goodbye. Cheerio. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Orange Songbook Podcast with Matthew Hewish, Oliver Davies, and Toby Suda, with support from Patrick German and music by Jude Grooves. Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, and on the web at orangesongbook.com, where you can find all our previous episodes.